I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Action director Michael Bay destroyed your childhood with his Transformers movies, and he's set to direct the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie to chip away at it even further. But he's left your adulthood alone until now. Next season, PBS presents a whole new Downton Abbey. Or should we say, Downton Abbey? Which we will, because Michael Bay's in charge. And South Miami will never be the same. With Shia LaBeouf as Lord Grantham. Whoa, 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 what are you doing in the Countess's garden? We're time cops from the future, and the Countess's roses won't be winning any prizes this year. No, 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 no. And Jessica Biel as her ladyship, the Dowager Countess. Anna, take this rocket launcher, if you please. We have to protect Downton. But what about Mr. Bates? It's too late for Bates. His giant robot ex-wife has him in her claw. Unhand me, Robots! Anna! This just got real. Can Matthew Crawley and Lady Mary survive? Mary. I love you. When an enemy from his past lurks in the shadows, he must go to space to battle the Titanic. I say, I need more thrusters to the front end. Oh, God, that hurt! And will Lady Mary still love him without his face or his arms and legs and things? Mary. Oh, Mary. (gasps) Ew. With all the historical anachronisms you've come to expect from Downton Abbey and all the explosions you can handle from Michael Bay, Downton Abbey, next season on PBS. And coming up next on your public radio stations, it's... It's... Mr. Bates' giant robot wife. Tonight, Project Censor director Mickey Huff, humor writer David Jabberbaum, and the R&B stylings of Riva DeVito. That's tonight on Livewire Radio. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Courtney Hameister. And you also have comedy from Faces for Radio Theater to look forward to. Poet Scott Poole with What I Learned Tonight, wherein Scott sits in our audience and in just one hour, the time it takes Stephen King to write three novels and an essay about writing, he writes a poem that encompasses all the lessons he's learned during the show. And of course, music from our house band, The Mutton Chops. Thanks, guys. Um, you may notice that Ralph Huntley is not with us uh, right now, and our, our fabulous producer and house band member Jim Brunberg is leading the band for us. Uh, Ralph is actually on Broadway for the next couple of weeks. Our New York listeners, go to see him. He's uh, on Broadway with Do Jump Extremely Physical Theater. So congratulations to Ralph. 
So we'll be talking to Mickey Huff later. He's the director of Project Censored, and, some of, and he'll be talking about uh, some of the stories that the media might have missed in the past couple of years. There's a few of them. And also David Javerbaum will be joining us tonight. David is a former writer for The Onion, Letterman, and former executive producer of The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. And uh, he's written a book that may very well change the face of Christianity as we know it. It is The Last Testament, a memoir by God. <laughs> now, of course, you know, we're going to talk to him about how he got such unprecedented access to the eternal creator and overseer of the universe because it is our understanding that he is represented by CAA and uh, he is extremely difficult to contact directly without constant prayer or a large donation to the 700 Club. But what seems like a more relevant question right now is why would God write a memoir now? Certainly the popularity of memoir in the past few years is a factor. According to CNN, it was Frank McCourt's uh, dark memoir, Angela's Ashes, that sparked the rise in reader demand for memoir in the 90s, leading to publishers accepting actually more memoirs than debut novels back in 2007. And that same article links the popularity of memoir with a spate of reality TV shows. You know, if anyone can prove there's an actual correlation between watching reality shows and reading anything, I will eat my hat. But only if it's made of giant hissing cockroaches covered in coagulated blood paste, like on Fear Factor. So now God wants to jump onto the memoir train, but it seems the question that we're all asking when a new memoir comes out is, uh, is this story worth telling? Uh, how is it different from the stories that everyone else is telling? And can you tell it without having to add gross exaggerations to make it interesting? And I think, I think God has the first two covered. I think one can assume that the story of the creation of the universe is probably worth telling. Um, and if you're monotheistic, you can also assume that no one else is telling it. Though, actually, if you look, the market is actually full of other monotheistic deities telling their life stories. So differentiation is actually, uh, could be problematic. And I would say that gross exaggeration has been an issue in the past with this author. I think we all remember, oh, I created the entire world in six days. Oh, so we somehow fit every known animal on a boat. And then, you know, the magical parting of the Red Sea that did essentially the same job as the channel, but it just took less time. <laughs> However, having read this follow-up, I have to say he's done a great job of explaining those earlier claims. So it seems that the most logical explanation is that his popularity is lagging a little bit right now, and he wants to make worshiping his son as cool as it was back in Jerusalem, but without having to go through all the muss and fuss of another resurrection and an ascension, because that wasn't fun for anybody. <laughs> Mostly his son. According to a 2009 Gallup poll, the percentage of Americans who identify themselves as Christian has been slowly dropping since 1948 when they started keeping track. And back then it was 91%. In the 90s it peaked at 79%. And at their last check in 2008, it was down to 77%. And so if he wants to increase that percentage again, he's not going to get any help from media outlets. Uh, with Tim Tebow unsure whether he'll ever be a starting quarterback for the Jets, Jeremy Lin sitting out the rest of the season with a bad knee, God's Q rating is set to take a nosedive. <laughs> and additionally, uh, if the Catholic Church continues to hold its ground on the birth control issue, they may lose the highly sought-after demographic of women who would like to have sex at some point in their lives without it resulting in an 18-year sentence of dirty diapers, dirty laundry, and dirty looks. So I think, I think given the situation, writing a memoir is a smart move on God's part, and it was a truly enlightening one at that. And as a reader in Periodic Accidental Blasphemer, I found God to be quite the charming tour guide through the highlights of the history of the universe, and I learned the answers to a lot of previously unanswerable questions, but I suppose that's to be expected with the whole author being omniscient thing. Now, if I can just get him to explain how Deadwood lasted for only three seasons, but Desperate Housewives has been on for eight, I will be all set. Thank you. Our musical guest tonight is nothing if not versatile, with a voice that can easily shift from loungy jazz standards to hip-hop to up-tempo dance tracks. 
She's been writing songs since she was 15 years old, released her debut album, The Catnip Collection, last year, and recently released a collaboration with DJ Roan Numa called Cloud Shine. She's been recognized as one of R&B scene's brightest up-and-comers by music critics and that person in the audience. Please welcome Riva DeVito to Livewire. Give it up for Mr. Seabless Watkins on the keys. Thank you. 
Riva DeVito. Music tonight is brought to you by Dave's Killer Bread and the bread of the week, Good Seed Killer Light. The newest bread in Dave's Killer Arsenal packs the following stats. 100% whole grain, 75 calories, and 3 grams of fiber per organic slice. If this weren't public radio, something about how awesome it is would go here. Dave's Killer Bread, just say no to bread on drugs. Uh, good afternoon, and thank you all for attending this press conference. My name is Dr. Charles Mallory from the Global Primatology Institute. With me today are Drs. Michael Gatto of Switzerland and Simon Obongwe of Kenya. There has recently been a discovery in the primatology world, and unfortunately, this species is already threatened with extinction. That's why today, I am forging an initiative to protect the rare Burmese stupid butt-faced monkey. I will take any questions you have at this time. Oh, yeah, um, yeah uh, I'm sorry, did you say... Yes, uh, stupid butt-faced monkey. The animal, which has never been photographed before until earlier this month, is characterized by a round curvy face, uh, which splits in the middle, resembling a butt. Uh, there's really no other way to put it. Uh, truly one of the greatest finds of the last quarter century. Oh, How was the species named? Uh, acclaimed wildlife zoologist Clyde Burrow of Papua New Guinea discovered the creatures on a fielding expedition in Burma. He submitted the name along with a photo and, well, the scientific community agreed. It truly is a stupid butt-faced monkey. <laughs> now, I must make clear, we do not fully know how many of the species exist. Estimates put it at between 250 and 500 stupid butt-faced monkeys in the wild. But that number may change with more research. Excuse me, uh, excuse me, doctor. Why is the butt-faced monkey... Uh, sorry, uh, it's stupid butt-faced monkey. Oh, right. Uh, does that mean that the monkey itself is stupid? No, or... actually, the monkeys are vastly intelligent, bordering on genius. However, the face looks like a stupid butt. Uh, it's not very chiseled, uh, nor is it plump and healthy looking. You see in the photo here, uh, yes, the left side droops more, and uh, the skin is kind of craggly. It's just, you know, whatever. It's a stupid butt. It is certainly not a chiseled butt face monkey, yet with some investigation, we might find one of those two. You really never know. Uh, sorry, getting back to my question, mm -hmm. why has the... Uh animal taken so long to be discovered. Well, we estimate they live primarily in the dense underbrush and rocky terrain of the Burmese jungle, moving nocturnally. It's really just dumb luck that Mr. Burrow came across one at all. He was researching another species, the complete jerk-faced leopard. It's indigenous to the area, and when he noticed one such leopard run over and kick a monkey in the face for no good reason, as it turned out, it was a stupid butt-faced monkey he kicked. The monkey was just sitting there, playing with the stick, and wham, kicked in the face. It's classic behavior from the complete jerk-faced leopard. Uh, yeah, what are your hopes for the project moving forward? Well, we are raising funds in hopes that the habitat in which they live can be protected. Now, if there's no other questions about the Burmese stupid butt-faced monkey, I'm going to turn things over to Dr. Obungwe, who will discuss his recent scientific study on the dum-dum boogerhead meerkat. Good day. That was Sean McGrath, Trisha Ferguson, and Andrew Harris with sound effects by David Ian. You're listening to Livewire, the radio variety show that may not have a prairie or a home, but is perfectly willing to offer you companionship. <laughs> Coming up, big censored stories from Mickey Huff, holy ghostwriter David Jabberbaum, poet Scott Poole, and more from Riva DeVito. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Livewire Radio. Our next guest, Mickey Huff, is director of Project Censored and the Media Freedom Foundation, whose goal is to teach people about the press's role in society and to tell stories that traditional media outlets tend to miss. Huff is a professor of history at Diablo Valley College and co-host of the weekly Project Censored show on Pacifica Radio. He edited and contributed to several books on media censorship, most recently Censored 2012, Sourcebook for the Media Revolution, which contains the top 25 censored stories of 2011. Please welcome Mickey Huff to Livewire. Welcome to the show, Mickey. Thanks so much for having me. It's a delight to be here. So to give the audience an idea of what you do, can you just tell us what Project Censored is? Yeah, Project Censored is a 35-year-old media research organization was founded at Sonoma State University, uh, purpose of which is to both teach media literacy uh, to students, you know, community, uh, and also to highlight underreported important stories that are left out, overlooked, or otherwise framed or distorted by corporate media. So would you say... That's a lot of stuff. (laughs) It is a lot of stuff. You you guys do some things, apparently. This is only 500 pages. Yeah, you're referring to the book. Right. (laughs) Rachel Maddow was recently on on Fresh Air. One of the things that she said was that we used to disagree about ideological things, but we all agreed on the facts, and now each side is creating their own facts. So we can't even agree on facts anymore. So how, how do we know as consumers of media where the real facts are? Yeah, that's a question we get asked all the time when we speak, uh, wherever we go, people say, well, whom do you trust? And what we really have to trust is a process. We have to trust a process of transparency and sourcing. Uh, We also have to understand that facts need to be vetted. Um, You know, we're all uh, all entitled, of course, to our own opinions and views. We're not entitled to our own facts, as Daniel Patrick Moynihan once said, or as Mark (laughs) Twain once said, um, get your facts first, then you can distort them as much as you please. But getting them first is crucial. And but where, how do we know? Like, how do we know that, that facts have been vetted based on the, the source that well, we this, go to? Well, what we do at Project Censored is vet stories. Yeah. We, have, uh, we had 19 colleges and universities around the U.S. this year in this book cycle, uh, 105 professors, 240 students, and over 300 stories. So we have a large team of people that look, look at things. And we're only one organization. There are many other groups and people that do these kinds of things. As far as uh, in, in journalistic outlets, you need to develop relationships. Right with with reporters, you know, uh, people like Cy Hirsch, who's been around for decades, right? Um, and maybe as Rachel Maddow says, you know, it, it, after 9/11, you sort of have this post-fact world transition, yeah. right? It's kind of interesting, though, in a lot of ways, because Jean Baudrillard was talking about that 30 years ago. He called it hyperreality. This idea that we live in a, a media-saturated world, of course, riffing off people like Marshall McLuhan and others, the medium is the message. Yeah. And um, Baudrillard said that you know, it's difficult for people to tell increasingly what's real and what isn't because we live in a media-saturated you know, landscape and it blurs people's perceptions. Well, and the amount of media saturation now, based on 30 years ago, has to be tenfold, a hundredfold. It's, it's incredible. There's a yeah. lot of noise. Yeah. And it's hard to hear through the din what the, what the facts are and what the truth may be. Well, speaking of the truth, what would you say is probably the biggest censored story, like the biggest censored news story of all time? Uh, well, you know, I guess if we had to make an, uh, an argument for the case, you could, you could, you could have a, a meta example. The fact that the media in the United States is uh, p- propagandistic, is top-down controlled, and relentlessly spins its public relations yarns to benefit shareholders and private interests at the expense of the public. And that's something that a lot of Americans have a hard time grappling with because of free press principles and indoctrination through education that talks about, hey, and or as, you know, maybe even Maddow suggested, well, hey, we've got the right and we've got the left. We've got Democrats and Republicans. You can put those all in whatever order you want. When we were growing up, we were taught to trust Journalists. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, you don't get to quote Ronald Reagan very much, but when I do, I could say, he did once upon a time say something of merit. It was uh, trust but verify, 
right? Good and point. that's something, again, that we really try to do. No matter what the angle is and what the opinion of a particular piece might be, what we're looking for is like, well, are the facts there, right? And is the story really getting a fair hearing? Oftentimes, you have to go to multiple sources in order to do that. You right, can't so really you're asking to us one. to work, Mickey. Yeah, there's no truth.com. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe there is, but I don't read it. So, uh, <laughs> so a couple of the stories that I found really interesting in the book, one of them was uh, the government-sponsored technologies for weather modification. That sounds like right. a comic book to me. Yeah, well, you know, we get uh, some people, uh, detractors say, well, you know, you guys are a bunch of conspiracy theorists and these kinds of things. And we're not talking about sort of, you know, these kind of science fiction stories. Well, that story uh, talks about the, the simple scientific fact that weather can be modified, weather can be adjusted and changed in some degrees, and it just raises other questions. Um, you know, what HARP does, what other government research agencies do. The Chinese government admitted that they had modified weather prior to the Olympics. I mean, so the question, and again, we're not here to tell, tell, talk about why this is happening or what it actually means. I don't know. I just think that that's a kind of a story that you would maybe pay attention to. Right. I mean, Perhaps. a little bit. You know, you know, yeah, more, so than, we... more than what the Kardashians are doing. Right. Probably. It's certainly stormy in their neck of the woods. Right. <laughs> um, and another story in the book, to give us some hope, you, you talk in the book about a need for media reform. So how do you think that that can happen? Well, the introduction of the book, we really talk about moving beyond reform. Reform is sort of like a cat and mouse game of attenuating systems that are already fatally flawed in a lot of ways. And so reform movements are certainly laudable because they do give us the two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. The real, the real politique, you know, the human experience, we don't live in utopias, et cetera. But, you know, we also, I mean, in addition to that, we figure we don't need more media reform organizations. We need a media revolution. We need to be the media. We need to uh, go out in our communities and support local independent uh, journalists and outlets. We need to support local programming. Uh, we need to support. Uh, we need to support sim the simple idea that George Seldes had in the mid part of the 20th century, famous journalist, who said uh, the job of journalists is to tell people what's really going on and let the chips fall where they may. And by support, you do you mean support financially as, financial. as well as? It could be financial. It could be simply by instead of like instead of waking up and looking at the New York Times, go to go to you know go to projectcensored.org, go to our RSS feeds. We've got daily RSS feeds on censorednews.com that come from over 20 different independent news sources. There's more independent news sources there in a day than you'll see in the New York Times. So change your your media habits, change your behaviors. Corporate media is irrelevant. It is a top-down managed distraction machine that is hell-bent on selling eyeballs to advertisers, truth be yeah. damned. And so that's something that has been it, 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 proven time in and time out over the decades. It's more true now than likely it ever has been, and we have a responsibility to do that. We have a responsibility to occupy media, to be the media, and we really have a responsibility to help train others to think critically and be media literate. And that's what we do at Project Censored, is we right. do that through students and outreach, and we have students helping vet stories and professors and community members and so on. So we've kind of just taken it upon ourselves, as many people have, to just do this process and not outsource it to other groups or so-called experts. Well, your, your organization is obviously doing great things. It was great of you to join us. We loved having you. But before you go, though, I wanted to uh, actually... We were inspired here at Livewire um, by the work that you do and, and to get the word out uh, on stories that media outlets should be covering but aren't. Um, and because we were inspired, we actually we did a little, little re bit of a research ourselves, and we found our own list of important stories that are getting little or no media coverage. So what I want to do is I'm just going to pitch these stories to you with the question, would you or would you not cover these on your website? Uh, okay. So I'm just going to pitch them. Just be totally honest. After the weather modification story, we'll, we'll do anything. Right. <laughs> story number one, Dan Malloy of Des Moines, Iowa, is out of pickles. We'd have to see if that was actually the case. We'd have to check the sources. So you'd vet that one first. We'd probably so want to look, look into it. All right. We won't count that. Okay. We'll count that as a half. Okay. Uh, the composition of lint has changed slightly since 1978. You know, we might look into that as far as if there's any nanoparticles in it, because a couple years ago we were covering nanoparticle technologies and how they seep into people's systems and are likely carcinogenic. But right. I'm not sure what the connection to lint is, but I would probably at least look at it, depending on the That's source. That's another vet. We're doing much better than I thought we would. <laughs> Oranges you are no longer orange. They're more of a pumpkin color. 
that's an op-ed. <laughs> the remaining members of Mike and the Mechanics are considering a tour. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> Highlight is a sport people play. Uh, again, I'd really have to, have to do some LexisNexis work on That's this. That's a bet. Uh, no one has actually witnessed a single person eat one of those marshmallow circus peanut candies ever. I know that to be false because I used to love them. Damn it. No. All right. This is our last one. Uh, only 0.002% of car owners actually have a pair of gloves in their glove compartment. That sounds true to me, so I would definitely want to research it and see what All the right. methodology was. That's 2.5 out of eight. We did really well. <laughs> well, it was such a pleasure having you. Thanks so much for joining us. Mickey Huff, everybody, from Project Censored. You're listening to Livewire Radio, and every time a new listener subscribes to our podcast on iTunes, we have a special dance that looks like the robot when we do it, but it's actually some form of salsa. What we're saying is, please subscribe to our podcast so we can become better dancers. Our next guest is a humor writer. He is the former executive producer of The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, where he shared 11 Emmys, two Grammys, one Employee of the Month Award, and two Peabody's. One of those awards is fake. He also writes lyrics uh, for Broadway shows like John Waters' Cry Baby, TV specials like A Colbert Christmas, and the Tony Awards, and off-Broadway shows like his own pet project, a musical about former Interior Secretary James Watt. He was one of the principal authors of America the Book, A Citizen's Guide to Democracy in Action. He wrote What to Expect When You're Expected for Those Yet to Be Born. <laughs> but his most important job by far has been ghostwriter for the book he's brought today, The Last Testament, A Memoir by God. Please welcome David Jabberbaum to Livewire. <laughs> Welcome to the show, David. Thank you for having me. Um, we're thrilled to have you here, and we definitely, it's such an important book, and we definitely want to get to it. But uh, before we did, I actually, um, I wanted to talk about something you did last year. You actually wrote what I think may be the best opening song ever for the 2011 Tony Awards, and I, I just wanted to play a snippet of that for the audience. This is Neil Patrick Harris singing at the opening of the Tonys. <laughs> If you've seen a show, then you already know how magical theater can be. It's a two-hour live-action, barely affordable, unlip-synced version of Glee. So this song goes out to the rest of you, those who've never seen theater before. Because Broadway has never been broader. It's not just for gays anymore. If you feel like someone that this world excludes It's no longer only for dudes who like dudes Attention every breeder, you're invited to the theater It's not just for gays anymore The glamour of Broadway is beckoning straights The people who marry in all 50 states We're asking every hetero to get to know us better Oh, it's not just for gays anymore Written by David Jabberbaum We're asking every hetero to get to know us better, oh. Um, so, um, you know, there have been so many opening songs to so many shows. So when you get a job like this, how do you approach it and try to do it in an original way? I mean, to me, the most amazing thing is not that I wrote it, but that they let us do it. Well, 
was there pushback? I saw a couple different things online where some people were uh, so happy. Our producers were terrific, and uh, not so much the network, but actually the, uh, the theater guild that oversees the Tonys was very nervous about it. But Neil and the producers, to their internal credit, were like, this is great, this is going to work, yeah. let's do it. And uh, they said, okay. And, you know, it's one of, the, one of the prouder things I've ever done in my life. It was really, really awesome. And, you know, Neil is just a, a god among men, and he made the song so much better. And if you YouTube the song, you'll see... Yeah, that, that, it's on YouTube. That's what a performance should be. I, like, he's just absolutely hit it out of the park. It's incredible. And it hadn't... I think it would have been hugely different had he not been an openly gay well, man I singing mean, that song. Honestly, you know? I wouldn't have... Con- I conceived it with him. And, I mean, I knew he was the host. And yeah. so that was part of the conceiving of it. I wouldn't have conceived it if it, if it was a different host. Right. So um, I, I wanted to, to talk now about, about the book. The book is The Last Testament, a memoir by God. So you, you're, you were sort of his ghostwriter. Um, <laughs> what, what was God like to work with? I, I can't talk about it in detail because he's listening. <laughs> and he'll know if you're lying about how you felt, right? Yeah, it's just, it's hard to, it's like when you have a boss and he's difficult, but you have to deal with it because you need the job. That's, that's well, what it is. And he's, he's omnipotent, which is, you know, that's he, another yes. pain. Yeah, he's, he's omnipotent and he's everywhere, which functionally is the same thing as stalking. <laughs> um, well, I wanted, to, I wanted to have you read a little uh, snippet of, of the book by sure. your stalker. Okay. Most of the book is actually a narrative, a chronological narrative from the creation of the world in six days, which, of course, is what happened <laughs> to now. But uh, he, does inter, he does do some interstitial things about various topics, and one of them is Godsip. For I know all and I tell all. I am the ultimate insider and the original gawker, as superior to people as I am to people, greater than us, for I am me. I am E, only my E standeth for eternal. Of dirt wert thou made, and now dirt will I dish. And first I shall speak of those celebrities who have interpreted Jesus' maxim to treat their bodies as temples, as if those temples were synagogues in Berlin on Kristallnacht. For I have seen Andy Dick fall off the wagon and then grope it. And I have seen David Hasselhoff run out of whiskey, drive to a bog, put peat moss in his mouth, and wait for it to ferment. I have seen Larry Hagman place a delivery for 25 orders of penne a la vodka, but hold the penne a la. I have seen Melanie Griffith guzzle Cosmopolitans like they were going out of style, which in fact they were. I have seen Tara Reid attain a blood alcohol percentage whose mathematical significance she could never have grasped, even stone cold sober. I have seen Matthew McConaughey so stoned he thought he saw me. I have seen Snoop Dogg so stoned, he did see me. (laughs) And I have seen Harrison Ford so stoned, he did Indiana Jones in the Temple of the Crystal Skull. (laughs) I have seen Chevy Chase steal the painkillers of colleagues who desperately needed them to kill the pain of working with Chevy Chase. I have seen Courtney Love refer to Xanax as, quote, one of my top ten favorite palindromic drugs that I'm addicted to. <laughs> I have seen Britney Spears, so drug-addled she tried to buy meth from her baby and burp her dealer. I have seen Jennifer Hudson respond to the imminent closing of an Arby's by breaking into a stirring rendition of, and I am telling you, I'm not going. That was a long time ago, of course. These days, Jennifer looketh terrific. I have seen Kate Moss order a neutrino for lunch and eat half. I have seen Ginger Spice throw up meal after meal, which is ironic since ginger is a digestive aid. 
I have seen Zac Efron cut himself to see if it would make his face register emotion. <laughs> and through it all, I have seen Dr. Drew Pinsky pray for more celebrities to develop horrible addictions that he might cure them televisually. <laughs> Consider it done, doctor. Love the show. Some words from God. I vehemently object to everything I just read. <laughs> you were, yeah, you were really just a vehicle for him, right? I don't like any of that stuff. I think it's very nasty. Okay. <laughs> um, so th there, were, there were some other really kind of big bombshells in this book when I read it. One of the things that really struck me was this revelation that uh, Adam and Eve weren't, in fact, the first two humans that God created. Can you talk about that? Yeah, everyone says, you know, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And what you find out is that God created Adam and Steve. That's actually what, what he created. It was two, two gay men. He made them, you know, gay just so they could kind of focus on their gardening careers. <laughs> Right. Didn't really trust a really important landscaping job like that, is my understanding. No, it's a big landscaping. People. It was a big landscaping job, and he wanted to keep it keep it to, to Adam and Steve. But the fundamentalists who say that are actually actually wrong. Although obviously their names were Adam and Steve because back then everybody had classic American English names. Right. <laughs> so I think uh, the question that everybody, the question that I think everyone always asks about God is. Why does he let bad things happen to good people? That is answered directly and simply in the book, and I will, I will share it with you, even though it's a spoiler. Why do bad things happen to good people? It's simple, to even out the good things that happen to bad people. <laughs> if you think about it that way, it's only fair. That, that makes sense. Right. <laughs> Oh, no, it, it does add a nice symmetry yes. to, the, to the world. Yes, it does. Um, <laughs> another, another bombshell in the book was that uh, God actually planted the evidence for evolution. Why would he do that? Because he really enjoys it when scientists die, and then he brings them up and sort of talks to them about how great it is that you are promoting, you promote, spend your life promoting facts and reason and objective analysis of life. And then he says, I'm just kidding, you're going to hell. He sends him to hell. <laughs> that then, that yeah. to him was worth planting every last bit of the evidence just, just to do that. <laughs> just, so he's just a prankster. He's a little bit of a prankster. Prankster is one word. B bastard would be another. Right. <laughs> sure. So um, did you ever talk to God about politics? Like, does he actually, does he have, does he pick a winner for the, for the Republican primaries? Well, no, he did, he did tell uh, Santorum and Perry and Bachman to run, but, you know, like you said, he's, he's kind of mischievous. He just likes seeing them, you know, mess up. I see. Yeah. So he, but he doesn't have an idea who's going to win. No, he, it's like a sporting event, and he always stays out of, out of those kind of things. He just kind of likes to watch things unfold as, as they happen. I see. Like, he, like, he's never influenced, like, the outcome of a sporting event. Like, he's never, ever done that. So the why only do they thing, thank like, him? He has, what, occasionally he will influence the event to affect the, the spread. But that's it. <laughs> Not the actual winner or the loser. Right. Yeah. You, uh, you are actually, uh, you're the ghostwriter as well for, uh, the, for God's Twitter account. Yes. Which is the Tweet of God. I actually have some here if you wanted to read some of God's tweets so that people could hear the word of God directly. Yeah, these are a couple of the more recent ones on the tweet of God. Little things mean a lot, although not as much as big things, obviously. <laughs> Give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Give him two fish, he'll eat for two days. By fish number three, he'll sigh and say, great, more seafood. <laughs> I'll show you one more. Uh, dance like nobody's watching. It's much funnier for me that way. So you can find these tweets. Uh, at, at the Tweet of God on Twitter. Uh, that's, that's, the, that's God's username. We've really enjoyed having you here and God, and God as well. Uh, the book is The Last Testament, a memoir by God. The author is David Javerbaum. And God, thanks so much for being here. Thank David you. Javerbaum. <laughs> Thank you.
What? 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 Rachel? Oh. You, are you okay? Wow. What? Are you okay? I mean, I think you had a bad dream. No. No, that wasn't a bad dream. Well, what was it? Oh, nothing. Obviously, it wasn't nothing, Rachel. You're all sweaty. Oh, am I? Yeah, and you were gasping. Oh, was I? Yes. Now you're just being weird. What's going on? It's really nothing. I... I may have had a sex dream. Oh. Oh, I get it. It was about Carlos from The Office, wasn't it? No, he's an attractive guy, right? No. Oh, okay. Keith, you didn't mention his upper arm strength that time at the picnic. And you claimed you weren't attracted to him, but I knew. No, Greg, just let it go. Fine. Oh, 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 no, it was Nigel, wasn't it? I can't believe you would have a fantasies about him. His teeth do that weird beaver thing, you know, like he talks like this, you know, which is completely unattractive. Uh, unless you're another beaver. Hitler! What? I had a sex dream about Hitler, okay? Now, can we drop it? Oh. Wow. I know. Okay? I know. Hitler. The Nazi guy. No. Jared Hitler from sales. Yes. The Nazi guy. Okay. Now, you can't be jealous of him, right? Oh, no. No. Absolutely not. Good. I'm glad we cleared that up. Now I'm going back to sleep. Okay. Honey? Ugh. What? How far? How far did you and Hitler go, you know, in your dream? I knew I shouldn't have told you. No, no, I mean, it's not a big deal. I just, you know, I'm, I'm curious. It was a dream, Greg. I know, but just was it like it was third base, or did he just round second and try to steal third? Look, we made love, but it's, it's not... Oh, just don't worry about it, please. Okay, I won't worry. Good night. Sorry. Good night. Rachel? Crap. No, no, it's just you made love with Hitler. It's just that, that term, you know, it just seems... I'm sorry I said it that way. It's just that he was... He was unexpectedly attentive, and he had these soft, full lips, you know? And he just, like, covered my neck with these little baby kisses. And, oh, you'd think his mustache would be scratchy like yours, but it's not. Oh, just... <laughs> Mm, downy, soft, like like chinchilla fur. Oh, and he, yeah. And he, he wasn't afraid to be vulnerable. You know, I mean, like so many men are just so hung up on being the big man, but not Hitler. I mean, he really opened up. Oh, okay, okay. And you know how sometimes you can be a little, I don't know, inhibited? Uh, he did not have that problem. He okay, was... all right. Enough info. Okay, that's. I... I'm good. Honey, I don't want you to be jealous of Hitler. I mean, what we had is so different from what you and I have. What? I mean, he's him, and you're you, and never the twain shall meet, or whatever. I, I'm going back to sleep. Uh-huh. To sleep, perchance to dream. Oh, gross. Sorry, honey. Okay, good night. Good night. Sweetie? Yeah? How do you feel about Stalin? Hmm. I'll let you know tomorrow. Trisha Ferguson and Andrew Harris with sound effects by David Ian. You're listening to Livewire Radio, and if you're in the Portland area, come to our next live show on April 14th at the Alberta Rose Theater with hot coffee director Susan Saladoff, author Wendy McClure, singer and author Storm Large, and others. More details at livewireradio.org. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Livewire. And now, once again, please welcome Riva DeVito. called The Excellent Gentlemen. They're backing me up tonight. They are amazing. As promised to sum it all up for us with a poem he finished writing 
30 to 40 seconds ago. Please welcome poet Scott Poole. What I Learned Tonight by Scott Poole. I learned tonight everyone is trying to turn love into a robot movie. I'm sorry, but love doesn't need Optimus Prime delivering a box of chocolates. What's wrong with good old analog frolicking on the beach, poking each other in the dimples with prongs of dirty starfish you just collected in cool, limpid tide pools that you compared your lover's eyes to while you giggled and rolled up the bottom of each other's jeans and stuffed handfuls of sand in each other's pants because you couldn't think of anything else you never had done and it might be a hoot later in the day to brush an abrasive material off each other's private parts. Do you think God's watching up in the left corner of the 14th dimension, sipping an unpronounceable cocktail containing a type of alcohol that goes beyond all human understanding? Hey, Jesus, you know what's wrong with this love story? Hey, Jesus, you know what's wrong with this? Don't roll your eyes at me. I sent you to earth once. I can do it again. You know what's wrong, Jesus? No robots. Can we have a cyborg rise from the sea or something here? Dad... Lame. That's so corporate. You're really going to freak Project Censored out. You don't want to do that. Wouldn't you rather just dance? Have you ever tried to dance with a robot, say, to a super deep Riva DeVito groove? It's bad enough when someone tries to do the robot on the dance floor, but when a robot tries to do the human, it's even more sad. Their smooth movements are a little too fluid. It's so fake. You're just like, don't do the human. Do the robot. You're good at the robot. But the music is too loud, and they're like, what? Do the what? Am I doing wrong? Huh? Love doesn't need more help to fall apart for stupid reasons. Love is okay being a story that doesn't get a lot of coverage. Love doesn't mind being after the weather. Love is okay with being lame on a rainy Tuesday at the beach stuffing sand in your lover's pants when nobody is watching. Besides, it's funnier for God that way. Thank you. Scott Poole, everybody. That's our show for tonight. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to our guests tonight, Mickey Huff, David Jabberbaum, and Riva DeVito. The Mutton Chops are Jim Brunberg, Dave Jorgensen, and Reed Walsman, now featuring their new record of 99 songs of 30 seconds or less at mchops.com. Tonight's show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Dave's Killer Bread, and Burgerville, introducing Burgerville Radio, featuring music from Northwest musicians in all their restaurants. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and Work for Art, the James F. and Marion Miller Foundation, and listeners like you fine people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Our executive producer is Robin Tenenbaum. The show is produced by Courtney Hommeister and Jim Brunberg. The faces for radio theater are writers Sean McGrath and Courtney Hommeister, performers Andrew Harris and Trisha Ferguson, director Jason Rouse, and master of sound David Ian. Additional show writers are Jason Rouse and house poet Scott Poole with guest writer Ben Coleman. Our technical director is Jonathan Newsom with house sound by Graham Nystrom. Stage management by Drew Flint. Thank you to Rose City Sound. Show theme by Courtney Vondrele and Ralph Huntley. Our show photographer is Jenny Baker. Livewire was created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. For more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit livewireradio.org. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review 
Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.